What's up, everybody? Armand here, back with another episode. This one was a really cool one. We have Chris Ritter, who's the creative director and co-founder of C90 Studios. C90 is a creative agency that works with people who are refusing the status quo. We talk a lot about artists and creative work in the entrepreneurial space. Uh, We have the the classic problem of how do you scale a creative agency, uh, which was a really interesting topic to go into. My biggest takeaways from this episode were First of all, if you want to be noticed, you got to be interesting and you got to take inspiration everywhere to have those ideas flow. And another really big thing is you should all do a floating tank. They sound really cool. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Play Hard Podcast. Work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard. Without further ado, Chris, how's it going? How are you doing today? Really well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. So you're the co-founder and creative director of C90. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. So what exactly is C90? From what I could see, it's a, a creative agency and a culture lab. But in your words, what, what is C90? Right. Yeah. So we're, we're a creative agency. We specialize in uh, visual identity, campaign development, brand strategy, and creative content. Um, we're a, a small studio full of uh, really talented director level people. Uh, we use a network approach so that we can you know, scale to any size uh, project that you might have. But, uh, you know, we do a lot of stuff in the uh, design world. We do a lot of photography. We do a lot of video. Um, and, you know, we, we like to say that, you know, uh, our clients, you know, we like to make them interesting. You know, and we we have a mantra where we say, you know, if you're not interesting, you're irrelevant because if you're not interesting, people don't pay attention to you anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of our drive to always make all of our clients, you know, look as interesting as they can. Yeah, that's really awesome. And I, and I bet in a in an environment right now where attention is so hard to grab, you have all these different like ways of of having your attention taken. You know, you got TikTok, Netflix, YouTube, all these like very attention grabbing platforms if you're not grabbing someone's attention if you're not interesting it probably is very hard to to retain people yeah it's it's funny because um you know when you're uh, you know when you come to a branding agency you know you, a lot of times the mentality that you have as a client is you know how are you going to make me um you know i make widgets right so um how are you going to make me different than the other widget maker you know mm. when but when you're talking about advertising, you know, you're competing with attention for everything. So like nobody really cares about your widgets when, you know, I could be watching cat videos because that's entertaining, you know? So it's like, how can we make what you do as interesting as, you know, even, even a cat video, for example. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's a really great approach. How do you kind of change that mindset in clients? I, I imagine it happens very early on. It, it does. It really does. So, you know, everything we do is very strategy focused. So uh, we like to, you know, really sit down with clients and figure out, you know, what, what their strengths are as a company and also what kind of things do their customer base really care about? Um, you know, and this could be things like, you know, th- there's some tried and true things that always get people attention. You can educate people, you can make them laugh, um, you know, and you can re- relate to them, you know, in any number of ways, but it's really up to us to figure you can out educate them. how do That's we another- do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, something that's always really interesting to me is like, if you look at YouTube, for example, um, you know, like, uh, you know, the satisfying videos, you know, just have like a billion views, you know, and all this kind ASMR of stuff. Like, stuff. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy. why is that? But, but, you know, people love it. it. It gives you a little bit of an escape and that's, you know, one of the tried yeah. and true ways to connect with somebody. So, you know, it's our job to take, you know, whatever you're doing and connect it in a meaningful way to people, you know, probably in one of those routes. Now, are you constantly studying what is grabbing people's attention? What's working like these satisfying videos and trying to, trying to pick apart what, what does work? Um, yes and no. I, I mean, like you, you pay attention to it. Definitely. You know, if something's like a mega trend, <laughs> you know, yeah, for example, yeah. like you do pay attention to it, but it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to be, you know, giving you a bunch of ASMR or uh, ASMR, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much I know, right? Uh, you know, it's not, I'm not going to give you a bunch of, uh, you know, concepts just around that because yeah. it's popular, but um, you know, it's more about digging down. It's like what people want from that, you know, is that, uh, an escape is that, you know, a, a bit of relaxation, you know, can we do that in a, a different type of way? So, um, it, it's almost like finding the thing, understanding its purpose and reinterpreting it. Wow. I really like that. Yeah. It's like, you need a second to digest that. That's pretty great. Um, <laughs> and then when you're, yeah, cause I can imagine if you're, if you're doing something creative and let's say a really popular trend if you just want to ride the wave, but it doesn't match, you know, your typical style, it's, it's probably not going to work in the first place. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, for, for a designer, you know, I think any, any designer who's really worth, you know, worth their weight, uh, you could design in any type of style, you know, mm. I, I mean, like people tell me all the time, like I have a style, but, um, Maybe I do, but I can, you know, it's versatile enough where I can get, you know, almost any message you know, that, that I want to put out, um, I can get it to work. I get it. Okay. Would it be, uh, would it be like a, a music producer who could produce in many genres and have their style shine, but they have their, their one that they t- tend to focus on? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's a lot of parallels with, um, you know, music and design. I think, I mean, we even use kind of our, you know, same type of language sometimes, you know, we're, yeah, we're talking about imagine. structure and we're talking about rhythm, you know, of design and, and that sort of thing all the time. Um, it's really, you know, the way that you process, you know, music for an example is very much the same way that you process things visually. So, um, you know, it's, it's the same part of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm a music man myself. So how does rhythm relate to design? I haven't, I haven't heard that before. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, uh, rhythm is, uh, as much of a visual principle as it is like a musical principle, you, you know? So like when you're looking at how you're laying out things, um, you know, using grid systems or using um, different ways of hi- of hierarchy, you know, of information uh, to get people to really understand like, okay, well, I'm looking at this poster. What's the first thing I'm going to look at? It's the giant headline. What's the next thing I'm going to look at? Maybe it's the thing that's bold. Then, um, you know, maybe the third mm. thing that I look at is like the nitty gritty information like, oh, well, it's, you know, Tuesday night at six o'clock at this place. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the, it's the least important, but it is important. So there's like, there's a bit of a rhythm to how you, you know, kind of, kind of look at things and process the info. Yeah. It's like a, like a flow to the way people process uh, what they're getting in. That's yeah. That's really cool. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. That's a good way to put it. One thing I really like uh, that I saw on your guys' website is that your clients are the type of people who need to be noticed, refuse the status quo and desire co-conspirators. What exactly does that mean? And how'd you come up with that? Well, which part? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the one that I always like to, uh, you know, kind of 
uh, focus on really is like the idea of a co-conspirator. So, you know, you're not going to be able to have a great relationship with somebody who's pushing boundaries unless you kind of have a certain attitude, um, you know, where it's like, well, you know, uh, this tried and true method is what we should do. So, you know, here's a formula for, you know, banner ads and, you know, uh, instructional video, you know, and that kind of thing where, um, we're very much the opposite, you know, how do you get your eyeballs, you know, your, your customer's eyeballs on your brand or your product? Um, you have to think about things a little bit differently. And, and a lot of times it takes an outside resource to say, Hey, uh, let's have some fun with this. You know, let, let's look at some new territories and you have to have somebody on the other side who's really receptive, um, to it for sure. And that's, you know, those are the relationships that, you know, I think make magic. What's a, what's an example of a relationship like that, that you guys had that ended up a really successful campaign? Oh, geez. Um, you know, sounds like a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, the most recent thing really is, um, you know, we just released some work for Northern Michigan university and, uh, we were working with the graduate school and, hmm. you know, Northern Michigan, uh, university is up on the upper peninsula. It's very cold. There's a lot of, snow. where on the, where on the mitten is that? It, it's the, it's the, this part. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all um, I know is that in Michigan, I had a lot of friends who went to uh Michigan state. I went to Penn state myself and they would tell me okay. like where on the, the mitten they were. <laughs> and I had no idea what that meant yeah. for a while. <laughs> they are, uh, they're off the mitten. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, they're the part that's off the mitten and they're all the way up on the top. I mean, it's, it's super cold. It's right on Lake Superior. Um, but, uh, you know, they had, they have a real, you know, recruiting challenge, you know, it's a beautiful place and an outstanding campus and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But um, if you're like, particularly from the South, um, you're going to have a hard time yeah, uh, with the weather and uh, you know, coming back around to, you know, the clients, you know, they were just very receptive to how do we modernize um, the, the things that we're telling people, how do we start to tell the story of, you know, being a rural university in upper Michigan, uh, you know, in, in a really unique way. Um, and then, you know, them being receptive to things kind of lets you spread your wings as a creative. Yeah. Um, and it's a super rewarding thing. And, you know, when you, when you put something in front of somebody and they understand it, um, it's actually, you know, an experience where it's like, oh man, you know, it did something really good and they're excited and, uh, it, you know, I, I don't think in other industries, you always get those types of, uh, uh, you know, meetings, you know, where you actually have like an emotional response to something, you know, in a positive way. So when that happens, that's a good day. Yeah. That's really interesting. The, the example that I can think of, I keep going back to music cause it's a, it's a big part of my family. I have a brother who's actually a musician. He's a producer. Yeah. And one thing he said is that when someone asks you to make a song or, or to make some sort of soundtrack to something, but they give you very specific instructions and they try to like put you in a box, you feel a little bit replaceable. Like you're just kind of like the tool, but that anyone could have done this. It's your vision. Like anyone just is trying to enact it versus if they say, here's the message we're trying to get out. Here's the purpose of this. Do it your own way. And whatever you come up with works. Uh, is that kind of how it felt working with Michigan, the, the second version? Yes, a absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, a, a big part of what we do from a strategy standpoint is, you know, we create a brief, you know, which is exactly what you're talking about. You know, what are we trying to convey? Uh, what are messages that we want people to take away from this and that kind of thing where 
that's something that can be interpreted any number of ways. Um, but, you know, if you're going to come to, you know, a creative agency with a napkin sketch of a logo, um, it's probably not going to go well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's not like a disrespect thing or anything, but it's like, I feel like you're handcuffing me and I don't know, you know, where to yeah. go with this idea. Um, you know, I don't think that that's going to be the best way to do it, you know, and, um, you know, I mean, Hey, you know, you're a musician, you've been doing it for a long time. I'm a designer. I've been doing it for a long time. There's a little bit of trust that has to be involved. For yeah. Sure. Um, Very much. You know, I, I would say like, you know, having an outstanding brief is, you know, the, the first step, you know, to making something that's really special. And I think that's, I, that's why I really love the word co-conspirator. Cause it kind of hints at that you need this trust and it's not just uh, any old trust, but it's trust to, to do something like refuse the status quo. And I think that's a, a really great way of getting the right ideal customer for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you're right on. I mean, I've seen different design agencies say something about like, brave, you know, clients, you know, they're, they're trying to go after brave clients. Like, I don't think it's anything that's like takes bravery. Um, but I think it's something that uh, is more about like ambition. You know, you have to actually want to change. You have to actually want to succeed and grow and, uh, you know, get more attention, you know, to your brand or your business. Um, so yeah, we, we talk a lot about, you know, having ambitious clients. And in a way, ambitious is better because you have to know that there's some sort of pain that comes to that. Like growth and change don't come easy and they don't come cheap. It, it does require a little bit of, I don't know, growing pain. So I think having that, knowing that going into it would be important for, for picking someone to work with. Yeah, I, I think that's really well put. Um, so how exactly do you use design to change the status quo? Like what, what does that look like when you're actually in the weeds and getting it done for your clients? Right. So, I mean, once you have the strategy and you have the message, you know, that, that you're kind of wanting to put together, you know, there's any number of ways that you can really look at, you know, a message and interpret it. So, um, you know, I'll go back to Northern Michigan University since we were talking about it. You know, they have a very unique setting. It, you know, they're rural. Um, they are right on a lake. Uh, they have really great ties to the indigenous people of the area. Um, and, you know, they have a certain mentality. Um, you know, a certain uh, resolve, you know, as a community, because they're in a, you know, a pretty harsh climate. Yeah. Um, so those were the things that we were looking at initially. So uh, how do we interpret that in, in a way that, you know, is visual, right? So, you know, nature is a, you know, big inspiration all the time, you know, looking at things like, you know, leaves and the shapes of petal, or like pebbles, or, um, rock, you know, or something like that. These are things that we were looking at, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the indigenous, uh, peoples, you know, like what kind of things can we learn from, you know, the history of the region, uh, what kind of things can symbolize the idea of, you know, being tough in the midst of a, you know, a, a Northern Michigan winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and like, you know, it, it's all about like, what, can we make symbols? Are there certain textures, um, that we could bring in, you know, it's just like, you know, the visual toolkit is, you know, color, typography, texture, pattern, um, and, you know, iconography. So, you know, what kind of things can we use to represent, you know, these principles per se? Wow. That's, that's so cool. What were some of like the symbols and, and imagery you ended up using? Um, so, I mean, it, they're, they're all like kind of intentionally, uh, abstract, but, you know, we used everything from like, uh, 
you know, wild rice, um, which is, which is actually the whole reason that Marquette, Michigan, where the university is, it even exists, you know, it was, really? uh, yeah. So it, it, the, you know, way back history is, you know, the only reason that there is indigenous peoples there is because they had wild rice, which was considered a medicine plant. Um, so, you know, a community came there to cultivate, um, uh, you know, the, these medicine plants, um, you know, some other things, you know, looking at even stuff, uh, you know, like fish scales, for example, you know, there's big fishing, um, area because, you know, you're on a lake, there's also a river there. Um, you know, that was another thing looking at natural things, you know, I said stone pebbles. Um, and then, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I talk about like the resolve that, that the people have there, they, there's a, a Scandinavian principle called Sisu. And uh, it's something that they've adopted as a community because it, it pretty much means, you know, you, you're, you have a certain toughness in the midst of, uh, you know, some hard situations. So, yeah. you know, looking at stuff like uh, a tree that, you know, is in the middle of the winter, there's no leaves, right? It's kind of a tough situation or, you know, how can we look at like strong architecture um, and that sort of thing. So like all of these things, you know, informed what ended up being the visual identity. Interesting. And now how did you, so when I think it's like pebbles, leaves, fish scales, sometimes those are like very everyday things, or I guess like by themselves plain, how did you turn that into something visually interesting, striking and representative of this uh, area and college? Well, I mean, it, it's really, uh, you know, that's the starting point, you know, is to look at something like that. So, um, you know, we were able to take, you know, we'll just take pebbles, for instance, because, yeah. it's, you know, if you can think about like the silhouette of like a creek pebble, <laughs> it's it's kind of just like a blob, right? It's, it's not that interesting, but, um, you know, there's ways to kind of take something like, you know, a simple shape like that and, you know, create patterns and create um, oh, cool. lines and artwork with it. And, you know, we actually created a whole alphabet, um, you know, using these different, um, you know, elements. So, you know, that's something that the university can use. That is um, that's very distinctive. Yeah. Do you happen to, would you be able to share that? Can I put that in the show notes if people want to check it out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's on, it's that's on our so website. Cool. Yeah, awesome. You, you yeah. An alphabet of pebbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, like, I'm so curious that right there. I'm like, wow, that, I really want to check that out. Um, what's the day in the life of a creative director? Oh, well, I mean, it's, uh, you're kind of always in between, uh, you know, you're in between the production and you're in between uh, the client, right? So the, the ideas um, that the studio is coming up with, you're always having to communicate with the client and make sure that mm. they understand it. Uh, they need to make sure that, uh, you know, the buy-in is always there. Um, you know, I talk a little bit about trust. You got to make sure that that's there. So there's a lot of client communications, but there's also, um, you know, team members that you have, yeah. uh, you know, where you need to make sure that, you know, whatever you're communicating to the client is actually getting executed, executed on time. Um, there is a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a timeliness that is needed in, in design. So, you know, we're always, you know, trying to push the best work out as fast as we can, <laughs> of course. Um, but, but really like that, that's a lot of the job, you know, it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of, uh, mentoring, you know, you mentor a lot of young designers and you mentor a lot of clients too. Um, it's, it, it's, a very heavy on teaching. That's awesome. I imagine it's very taxing yet rewarding at the same time. 
Oh yeah. I mean, I, I tell people, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that, you know, as a creative, it's hard to let go, you know, it's hard yeah. to let go of the, yeah. the final, final thing. Um, I didn't design this logo, so maybe I don't have as much passion for it. Um, I'm not that way at all. You, you know, it, especially if I'm working with somebody who I've, uh, you know, mentored or coached, you know, for years, I mean, I'm as happy for them as I am for the end product, you know, because like, oh, you, you made something that's really good. Like they, they picked your concept. Um, sweet. Let's make this awesome. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very much a team mentality. Um, but yeah, it is really rewarding and sometimes, you know, very challenging, you, you know, you don't yeah. always see eye to eye with every client. You don't, um, always have easy conversations with your, <laughs> with your design team either. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it can be very rewarding though. I like that you said an important thing is to let go. I think it, it is very important for creative. Sometimes there can be a little bit of, um, not just a little bit, a lot of ego attached to your own work. It's your work. You made this and you want it to be perfect and hitting publish or sending it out. The final product can sometimes be really difficult to just get it out. But I think some of the most uh, prolific and, and best creators are the ones that can say, I'm going to send this out and there's always the next piece. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that is really important. Um, and, you know, in, in, in design, you know, that's why you go through a concept you know, process yeah. too, where it doesn't have to be all the way there. You just have to communicate it really well. Um, mm. you know, we do yeah. things like make, make mock-ups, you know, of like billboards that are fake, <laughs> you know, uh, but they look real and, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we did this, but you know, it's not finished, you know, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you, when you get in the concept phase, there is a point where you have to be like, this is done Yeah, <laughs> for now, at least for now. Right. How do, how do constrictions play into this? So you said there's a lot of time restraints uh, sometimes in design when you, when you got to get certain deadlines. Uh, do you believe constrictions help or hurt creativity? Oh, it, it absolutely helps. So um, the, uh, the best clients I've ever worked with, you know, and I'm talking, you know, Fortune 500 companies, you know, brands that you've absolutely heard of or worn, <laughs> um, they move quickly. And the reason that they move quickly mm-hmm. is they know what they want um, and they trust the process or they trust the designer. Um, so, you know, it takes a high level of talent to uh, create a brief that, you know, gives you a specific thing that you need to accomplish. You know, in, in design, if you don't have a specific thing to accomplish, you're chasing your tail all day because, you know, it's, it's all a bunch of what ifs and there's no real right answer. Like, oh, what if this, what if this, or maybe this, um, you can waste an incredible amount of time with that. So if you have a succinct brief that tells you exactly what you need to do, um, you can really be quick on your delivery. And, you know, if you're quick on delivery and you have a tight deadline, you don't have all the red tape um, because there's no time for it. Um, yeah. you, you know, it's like, oh, we have a campaign and it needs to go out in two weeks. Um, you know, we need the visuals for it. It's like, well, you're not going to be focus grouping that, <laughs> you know, because yeah, very true. You can't just be no testing time. it out. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's a little nerve wracking. Um, you got to have talent to do it and you have to, um, you know, again, be ambitious, um, yeah. you know, and, and be a little bit receptive to, you know, be a co-conspirator with your designer. Yeah. That's really awesome. I've always, I've always kind of had a, I've always kind of wondered, like it's counterintuitive. You think having constraints would, would constrain your creativity. But the the one example I like to think of is 
Um, the cat in the hat by Dr. Seuss was created because someone, it was a contest and someone said, you only have 50 words. Like he was given a, a random grouping of 50 words and that's how he created the cat in the hat. One of like the, the most well-known, you know, children's books rhymes. And I thought that was really cool that he was only allowed to use X amount of words. And it, because of that, it created this beautiful piece of work. That's pretty incredible. I, I mean, I, when I think of like time constraints and things like that, there's actually, there's two, um, you know, I don't know what kind of music you're into, but uh, you know, two of my favorite groups uh, are Nirvana and the chemical brothers and, and both of them, uh, their first albums were on a shoestring budget with a very limited amount of time to record. And, you know, I know on the Nirvana's album Bleach, it actually says was recorded for $900 at the <laughs> studio. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Chemical Brothers, their first album, I know that they did that in like a weekend. Um, wow, that, that's sick. They're just fantastic albums. And it's like, oh, you guys just like cut all the bullshit and said, this is what, this is how it's going. And, and I mean, they, they made some, you know, fantastic. Yeah, work. that's so cool. I know one of Zeppelin's album was they just locked themselves in a cabin and said, we're not getting out until we have this finished. And, and yeah, that's pretty, you ever do that to yourself? You ever say like, I can only use these colors. Like instead of a time constraint, you give it like a material constraint or, or a certain design constraint. Like I can only use these colors or these tools. Uh, you ever do that? Oh, a lot of times you have to anyway. Um, so like, for example, NMU, uh, you know, we're not changing the university's colors. Yeah, that's <laughs> very know? true. I mean, that, that's very like, true. There's no way that it's, it, you know, that they're getting rid of their force green and their, you know, goldenrod yellow, because, you know, they have a football team with uniforms and signage yeah. all over campus, you know? So it's like, how do you work with that? Um, it's actually, it's, re it's really good. I actually just read a quote. Um, I think it was Joseph Mueller Brockman who's a, you know, nerdy designer. Um, but, you know, it's like when you're, when you're working within uh, restraints, you know, the truth comes out. Mm. Um, the real oh, truth comes cool. out. It's like, yeah. that's a, that's a great quote uh, because, you know, you're thinking about the right thing. You know, you're not, you're not thinking about how we can, you know, put a bandaid on this or something like that. You're, you're thinking about, okay, what is the actual message that needs to be put across here? Yeah. I'm sure it cuts away a lot of the noise, a lot of the decisions that need to be made, a lot of like the, the little details that now you can focus. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you could think of design like a, uh, you know, like you're trying to get from point A to point B. Um, and if you have a really clear and concise map, <laughs> it helps. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you don't, you you know you might get there, but you'll be wandering around for a while. Um, and you know, wandering around takes a lot of creative energy. Yeah, that's very true. Now, from the the founder perspective, are you ever doing anything on on the business side? Are you uh, managing any of that? I do tons of business stuff. Um, so. Uh, we have three partners here. Um, okay. It's myself, Emmett Jones, and Theo Erasmus. Um, and we have six core things that we, you know, see as like, you know, business management kinds of things. And my two things are uh, business strategy and finance. <laughs> so nice. uh, like I have to, you know, make sure that, you know, we're getting the bills in. I have to make sure that, you know, we're paying all of our bills, of course. Uh, but also, you know, I, I'm, I'm the one that's responsible for figuring out how we set the strategy for, you know, C90 going forward into the future. Yeah. Um, so yes, tons and tons of that. I mean, you don't get away from that. Being creative is important, but hopefully you're not too creative with that accounting. 
<laughs> well, I, I, have, uh, I have a very talented bookkeeper and accountant that uh, keeps me honest. That's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> I really like that as co-founders, you guys kind of split up the, the main business tasks and then split it evenly amongst each other. How, how did that conversation come about and how did you find your co-founders in the first place? Um, yeah, well, that's, that's two interesting questions. So, uh, you know, this is my second studio um, that I've ran and um, you know, my first studio, which is actually still around um, and they're doing just fine. Uh, but I, you know, I left for other reasons. And when I was at that old studio, I talked to a mentor of mine and, and he just said like, Hey, you know, if you're growing, you really need to figure out, you know, what is the strategy? Uh, what do finances look like? You need to have an HR strategy. You need mm-hmm. to have an IT strategy. Um, you need to have a marketing strategy. And there's one more, um, an ops strategy. Yeah. And there's six things, you know, and you have got to concentrate time on that or you'll grow and lose everything. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I, you know, I kind of took that to heart. And then when we, you know, started C90, um, I presented it, just said like, hey, these are things that we need to always be cognizant of. Otherwise, like, you know, if you don't have an ops person, like your office will be a wreck, yeah, <laughs> you know, if you true. don't have somebody in charge of IT, everybody's computers get old and <laughs> stop functioning, you know, and that's not really good stuff either. So I'm um, in cybersecurity. So all, almost like worse than getting old is if someone's computer gets hacked, then you lose a lot. You lose God, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> that would be terrible. Make sure they don't uh, click on email links. That that solves a lot of pro- a lot more problems than you think it does. Oh, I, I bet. <laughs> yeah, don't click on any of mine. Um, but uh, yeah, we, so we split it up, and, and it's been working really well. That's kind of how we have everything structured. So we all took two of those, you know, six things. Nice. Um, I think you asked me how how I found my yeah. partners. Is that right? Um, so, uh, my partner Emmett and I were the co-founders. So, you know, we started out as two and, uh, he actually, uh, ran a couple of studios, uh, in, in the past two, and we were, you know, friendly competitors actually. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. We had, we had competing studios and, uh, we had both kind of left, you know, our studios, uh, he was finishing up a job and, he said, you know, I'm at this place. I don't think it's really going very well. And uh, I think that I need to figure out what, what I'm doing next. And it, you know, time came and we just said, hey, let's do this thing together. Let, let's go and do it. We've always really respected each other's work. Um, so let's get it started. So we, That's actually, awesome. we actually started. Our first office was in the front of a bar. Um, <laughs> we, we knew it really helps creativity. Yeah, it well, it does, but it, it hurts productivity. <laughs> hey, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we uh, we started in the front of a bar and we decided like, hey, we need to um, figure out like, you know, what's our strategy as a as a brand? You know, who cares about what we're doing? Um, you know, coming, you know, we hadn't even came up with like the language of the co-conspirators yet, you know, or anything like that. That was stuff that was still in development. And we brought in my friend Theo Erasmus actually to help. Um, and he did, you know, all of our brand strategy. That's where a lot of that language, you know, that you mentioned even comes from. Do you have a copywriting and, background? Uh, brand strategy and copywriting. So he, he does, he does both. Nice. Um, he's, he's kind of, we're going to need four or five podcasts if you want his history. He, he's been all <laughs> over the world and everything. Um, but, uh, he, he helped us out early on 
And uh, about a year in, we decided, hey, we really need to up our brand strategy. And we ended up bringing him on as a partner. Now, one thing I was thinking about actually right before this episode is, um, and, and it's cool that you mentioned kind of the, the operations and, and a couple other things. How do you scale a creative agency? Because I imagine it takes a specific type of talent, like to match not only what you're trying to do, but the work you're trying to produce. And you, it, you don't just find that anywhere. Um, how, do you, how do you scale this? Like if you guys really want to start doing, adding more and more designers to your team. That's, that's a great question, actually, because we, we've learned a lot about that through the pandemic. <laughs> as a oh, matter of interesting. Fact. Um, so, I mean, t- traditionally, um, agencies were, well, you, you get a big client, um, you know, you get a bunch of work, you hire a bunch of people so that you can finish the work. Um, you know, if a client fires you or, you know, it's the end of the project or whatever, like, you know, it, a lot of times you would let people go. Um, agencies a lot of time are not the most stable place, um, you know, where you have bodies coming in and coming out. Um, and we, you know, had a little bit of a rough patch through the the pandemic, you know, our clients actually were, they were worse off than we are or were. Um, and they would just say like, Hey, you know, like what you're doing, can't renew this contract. And then we ended up having to lay off a couple of people. Um, and in that moment, uh, you know, partners all kind of got together and said, how do we scale this thing? You know, how do we, how do we go and do this thing? So the exact question that you're asking and what we actually landed on was, you know, between myself and my other two partners, we have a really outstanding network of um, strategists, copywriters, designers, videographers, photographers. Um, And what we really want to do to be able to scale for projects is bring in top tier talent to projects that is, you know, tailor fit for our clients' needs. So, um, for example, you know, like one of our big clients is a, a financial firm and, uh, you know, what we really want to bring in for that is, uh, you know, a friend of ours who has tons of experience in the space and has, you know, a very elegant design aesthetic, which is, you know, befitting of what their strategy is. Um, and that's a little bit of an easier way to go than, to train people for years and years yeah. and years. And, and, you know, I, and I hate to say it because I actually really love training, you know, young talent and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, we, and you know, it takes the way time. that it, it, Oh man, it takes so much time. Yeah. Um, it, but, uh, you know, the way that we're positioned, uh, we don't, we don't have the opportunity to, you know, fail, uh, you know, at all. Right. Because yeah. we want to move fast. We want to make sure that we're avoiding that red tape that I talked about. So, we bring in top tier talent um, to our projects and we have a, you know, a full network of people with all different types of capabilities. And it's been working out really well for us. So for the designers, it's a bit of a trial by fire. You're keep, you're keeping them on for certain projects, but if something, if something goes wrong and it's their fault, it's that they're out. Well, t- typically it's a, you know, it's a project, right? So, Oh, so you bring um, them on for per project basis. Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, you know, we'll just say like, oh, hey, uh, Sally, you know, you're really great at this thing. I want you to come in. You're going to be here for, you know, a month and a half and we're just going to pound out this concept. Oh, wow. And then, uh, you know, we'll get something really great. And then, um, you know, client picks it. Maybe, you know, we can have a longer engagement uh, or, you know, is it something that we can bring in, uh, you know, in-house to, you know, to finish up and kind of put our, yeah. our final touches on. So. Um, yeah, it is, it is like project per project and it's actually really nice for, um, you know, the person who's contracting because we shield them from all the 
client garbage, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And they don't have to be in the, you know, the weekly status meetings and all that kind of stuff. They can, you know, and they can work with some autonomy. And I see the the scalability comes from how flexible you guys are is that you're, you're not like paying certain people year round. You can kind of like save that cash, pay them for projects and then grow, go keep growing. Um, when you're looking for people to hire full-time, are you looking for like their network? Like when you want to improve the, the network you guys have of getting more creatives, do you look to hire on people with a big network like that and then they can bring them on or how, how does that work? Well, I mean, there's a very simple principle, um, that, uh, talented people work with talented people. Um, and very true. It, and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like a stupid, simple thing, but it's actually true. Very true. Um, yeah. so, uh, referral actually really works well for us. Uh, so, you know, if, if I'm working with a designer and they say, Hey, these, these guys at C90, they're awesome to work with. Um, you guys might want to, you know, call them up. Uh, it actually works really well. So, you know, you give somebody a really pleasant experience from a, you know, from a working standpoint and, uh, you know, recruiting people for the network gets a lot easier. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that quote. It's uh, I haven't heard it before, but it's one of those things where it just makes perfect sense when you do. Yeah. I, I, a mentor of mine told me that one time and I was just like, Oh, that makes so much sense. It, you know, it's like, I, you know, if I'm a talented individual, I just want the person on the other side of the table to be as talented, you know, or at least on the same level. Um, and, you know, yeah, talk about like, that's what makes the magic happen. But I mean, it, yeah. it, it just does, you know, you get enough smart people in a room, typically something really fun happens. Very true. Smart people with very different skill sets too. That's how you avoid that group think. You oh get yeah. Them, uh, you get them all with different specialties. And then that, I mean, that's a great team right there. That's how you start great companies. Great things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I actually uh, just read, um, I'm not done with it yet, but it's called Rebel Ideas, a book that I'm reading. And it's, and it's all about, you know, thinking about big problems uh, and trying to solve them requires a bunch of people with different, you know, related, but different backgrounds um, to, you know, completely solve the problem. So I'm really interested in that idea. Yeah. Um, now I imagine all of this can, uh, all these deadlines, all, all these projects you got going on, it can, it can be kind of stressful sometimes. How do you manage that stress, uh, personally? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it's something that I've learned over time. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely a skill. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm 39. Uh, when I started my first agency, I was 28. Okay. So, wow. um, I had so much more energy then. Um, I could probably just work all night and then wake up at eight o'clock and do it again. I, you know, I can't do that anymore. Um, and I found that out actually very early on with C90 <laughs> is that, you know, oh, I can't do the same thing I did the first time. Um, so I've taken a little bit of time to just figure out like, what, what does it work for me to take time for myself? <laughs> um, and, you know, I've been experimenting with a few different things. You know, I, I do a lot of stuff in the outdoors, um, I, I go to uh, Red River Gorge every chance that I get, which is nice. uh, a state state park in Kentucky. Um, and where are you some, located again? Uh, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati. All right, sweet. where we are, and it, that's it's like a two hour you know drive yeah. you know from where we are, but it's you know it's in the hills of Kentucky, and you have a beautiful gorge. And I bet know, that drive alone gives you clarity. It does. I actually really like driving. <laughs> you know, as long as there's not traffic, like I I would just like drive. Um, to clear my mind. 
uh, it helps me out a lot. But yeah, I do a lot of stuff in the outdoors. Um, I've been uh, experimenting with music too. Um, so like my partner is actually really into ambient music, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I never really got into before, but I've been like trying trying it out a little bit and just like, you know, calm sounds and things like yeah. that help me background, kind of, like, kind of background bit. noises. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, I don't know if it's, you know, a meditative thing or if it's just me trying to clear my head of all the stuff, you know, that I got going on. Cause you know, outside of being an entrepreneur, I, you know, I have three kids also, you know, a family yeah. and a busy house to uh, manage as well. So just really taking that time. Um, it, it has been something that's helped me out a lot. It keeps, keeps me sane, particularly, yeah. you know, uh, during the pandemic, it, oh, you man. know, we're like, we're just at home, and uh you know we're kind of driving each other crazy because we can't do all the things that we want to do and we're bored you know that that's really where i you know kind of discovered a lot of this stuff yeah the pandemic taught me the your house gets a lot smaller when you're in it all (laughs) 24 hours yes the the, the entire family that is absolutely true one thing that i was wondering also is is creativity an outlet for your stress because i feel like if design is your job and that probably causes some of the stress. Does that also, do you also design things to let the stress go or how, how does that impact your, your stress release? Do you find something like completely different to do? Um, yeah. What do you do? Yeah. You know, I do, um, you know, creative, creative things that I'll do at home. Like one, uh, mm-hmm. I read, I, I like to read about like, you know, creative philosophies and things like that. Um, but, you know, as far as like personally creating things, I don't do it nearly as much as I used to. Um, I've been actually channeling a lot through my, my children, as a matter oh, of fact. Nice. So I got a 15-year-old uh, son who has, you know, grown up with a dad that's been, you know, immersed in design, you know, his entire life. Yeah. So he's, you know, kind of grown to, to be pretty interested in it. So like, um, I actually, you know, I like teaching him how to be creative and, oh, that's awesome. uh, you know, he... Uh, has painted murals with me before. And, you know, we do like creative projects with the, you know, my three sons uh, quite a Mm -hmm. bit, you know, like last summer um, we made uh, spray paint stencils and, you know, made our own uh, t-shirts, you know, and things like that. Just really, really teaching them how to do, you know, all the goofy things that their dad does. (laughs) Yeah. But that's been a creative outlet for me. As far as books on creative philosophy, I have, I have two. Have you read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? I haven't. That's that's a really good one. He's a he's a writer, to, but talks a lot about the, um, both actually that and what about um uh, the artist way by Julia. I have to remember her last name. Julia something. The artist way. Have you read that I'm, one? I'm I'm writing these down. No. <laughs> yeah, those are great. They both have this concept of quantity over quality. They talk about like the important thing is when you pump out a bunch of quantity of, of design or art, writing, whatever it may be, videos, uh, paintings, the quality kind of takes care of itself because you're not second guessing. You're not trying to make this perfect piece. You're just getting it out there. Um, and another thing that I really like from the war of art is he says, um, I like, as a writer, I write when inspiration strikes, I'm just lucky that it strikes every day at 9am sharp. And <laughs> I like that, was, that. That was his way of yeah. saying, like, hey, a part of it, whether you like to or not, you got to do it every single day and you got to kind of make it um, 
what I, what I do is I kind of make it a routine. Do you happen to have a, a routine at all for your, for your creativity or life in general? Boy, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure having I, I wish three I kids did. doesn't help. <laughs> no, it, it definitely does not uh, help. But, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, it's probably not, not so much like a daily routine, um, but it's definitely a process that, that I go through, particularly, you know, professionally. Yeah. So, you know, I just always know, like, you have to get, you know, strategy in place so that you're able to concept stuff. You know, you yeah. have to get a concept finished before you can actually design all the things you have to design it and then execute it, you know, and um, I'm very process driven in that way. And I think that's what kind of keeps me sane <laughs> and also um, keeps the projects going out the door at a, at a decent clip. Um, because yeah, I mean, it, it, if you're wandering around and you don't know what to do, I mean, it, it, it could be really bad. Yeah. And I think the important part of process is sometimes people know what to do and people do the same things, but if they don't really have that process, you're, you're kind of each step of the way, you're like, what did I do last time again? Or how did I, how did I get that done? That's something that I've been realizing lately, uh, with this podcast is I do the same things to set up, prepare, post and everything, but I haven't kind of like written myself a formal process. So every time I, I think like, Oh God, what did I do last? Okay. Yes. I have to put it through, like, you know, you get the audio, you have to master it. And then you have to like, it's just kind of, uh, extra thoughts and extra steps when I could just have it written in stone. All right. Check, check, done. Post it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's pretty helpful to do that. You know, I, I, and I've done that for a creative process, you know, multiple occasions and, and you know what, it changes too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you you might find a method or a, you know, a, a practice that makes your life way easier, you know, and then you have to think, Oh, well, how do I build into this? And, you know, what yeah. happens afterwards and that kind of thing. So like, I, I like to keep track of that stuff. Um, you know, in, in our world, I'm, you know, I'm making statements of work all the time, you know, in contracts yeah. for clients and that kind of thing. So like, I have to think about that because that's, what's, uh, that's, what's on the, you know, the, the dotted line <laughs> is this is what we're going to do. This is about how much time it's going to take. And, you know, this is the order that's going to go. So, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking about yeah. that and, and you know, I'm fortunate enough to have two partners who are, you know, just as invested in, you know, finding new, better ways to do things that, um, you know, we, we're almost always finding new ways to do stuff and keeps it fresh, you know, keeps yeah. the process fresh too, um, which is important because, I mean, doing the same, you know, process again and again can get monotonous. Um, Very true. You know, which typically is reflective of a bad process and not so much a, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a boring team, right? Or like stagnation. Like if things aren't changing, if you're not, like you said, trying new things or, if, or if you're not growing, like the process isn't supposed to be the same process. Like the one, the one that gets you to a certain, you know, milestone is not going to be the one that takes you past the next one. So if you're kind of repeating the same process over and over, over time, you should probably take a look and see like, what improvements can I make? How can I shake this up? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, the other thing is if you at least, you know, try to have a repeatable process, um, you know, you might be able to red flag something, you know, during the process and say, hey, you know, for this client, I think that this probably isn't the best way to deliver this. Let's tweak it in a way that's special for them. Um, because, you know, maybe they're more, uh, receptive to visuals, you know, maybe they're more receptive to, 
quick presentations rather than, you know, deep presentations, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. And that, you know, it allows you to get a little bit of a better service for your clients too. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you still, you know, you're still delivering a brand strategy or a visual concept or a campaign idea. Yeah. And now you mentioned at the very beginning, sensory deprivation tanks. Yes. Really, <laughs> really curious. Uh, you mind telling the audience what they are? And then well, I guess first question is why? Why, why, why do you do this? Yeah, this is actually, um, yeah, I figured you were going to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a friend of ours uh, that, you know, he kind of lives in our neighborhood. Um, he started this flotation tank. Um, business um, in a neighboring city in Newport, Kentucky. Um, and it was just really dealing with, uh, with stress, you, you know, and just having real problems. My, and my wife knew about this and she said, Hey, I really think that we should just try this, you know, and, and see what happens. Um, and I was really not, not in a great mental state. Let's just put it that yeah. way. And I said, Did okay, you say it was but, burnout. Were you burnt out or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, I was just working a ton. Um, you know, maybe there were some things that, you know, weren't going great with business or, you know, or you're something not, like you're that. You're not 28 anymore. No, definitely not. Uh, but, uh, you know, said, ah, let's, let's give it a try. So we go and I literally, I had no idea, you know, what yeah. I was doing. Um, and you know, what you essentially do is, you know, you go into a dark room and uh there's a flotation tank and you know in this tank it's like you know super salty water um so you just float on top of it and you're in this tank and you close the lid and it's complete darkness um so you don't do anything you just lay there for an hour um and let your body be still and uh there's you know some like ambient music in there if you want it or you could turn it off um but i'm like oh, there's no way this is gonna like do anything for <laughs> me but um it's really strange because like i always find that about 15 minutes in and you completely lose track of time uh by the way but i think it's about 15 minutes in like i'll actually start to feel a little queasy um and i think it's like my body actually is starting to release you know some of this like bad energy or you know or something like that and then uh, you kind of get to be in this like meditative state, you know, and after an hour, you know, I always find that, you know, my muscles are loose, um, you know, my stomach feels better. Um, and, you know, I have a clear state of mind and, you know, you, you hear people talk about, well, uh, my best ideas come from, you know, when I'm in the shower, you know, or something like that. And it's yeah. because you step away from the grind, you know, for a minute and let your mind wake up. Um, and I always find that I'm super inspired when I get out of there because, you know, it's like, you don't sleep in there. Um, you know, you kind of, I'd probably feel like I would drown <laughs> if I fell asleep <laughs> in there. Um, but, uh, anyway, like, uh, you know, my mind is just going a million miles a second. I always come out with an idea or I come out with something I'm energized about. Um, and it's really like one of the most fulfilling things that I do on a regular basis. That's so awesome. I'm sold. I'm going into one of these. That's so cool. I think that's- hey, I, uh, I recommend it to so many people. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I, I can't even imagine trying to comprehend the feeling of just weightlessness or floating in that tank. But- Yeah, you, um, you kind of feel like you're in space or something because like, 
you know, like if you can imagine yourself floating in a pool, yeah. um, you know, like there is some effort there. Like you have to, you know, maneuver your muscles a certain way or something like that. I mean, this is keep like your belly up, do that. I remember swimming in swimming yeah. class when I was five, you have to like keep your belly up, lie on your back, and then you're still gonna drown like it i know you still feel like that but but like with this i mean there's there's no effort whatsoever i mean the the water itself is only probably about eight inches deep Um, but you just you just float right on top of it it's 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 really really interesting yeah i definitely want to check that out and i like i agree that was one thing i for the you get your best ideas in the shower i always wondered why and i always thought it's because it was like or when I'm brushing my teeth, those monotonous things, those things that don't really require thinking, that's when your brain just kind of lets itself go and do something else. My mom said something uh, that was really funny. She, she used to say the, the windshield in my car talks to me. And, and what she meant by that is like, she'd just be driving in traffic and that's when all of the ideas and, and thoughts would pop up. But yeah, I always wondered, um, I heard there's this one writer who, who really recommends keeping a whiteboard in your shower. So what he does is anytime he gets an idea, he's just always, he has like notebooks everywhere in his house. He keeps a whiteboard in his shower and is just like always ready to collect ideas. And his thought process for that is if your brain feels comfortable knowing that you can get and receive and track an idea anywhere in your house, then that's the ideas will come everywhere. So Hmm, um, I thought that was really cool. What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Um, You know, I, I find that I don't really have any issue um coming up with ideas um but what i do is uh i make sure that i collect inspiration um all the time so um i i do it on tumblr actually um i just have like a tumblr feed that i just like you know pull stuff from all over the place and say oh "Oh, this this is cool i'm just gonna put it there um and the cool thing about that is you could tag it you know so like if i'm like looking at a bunch of say like, uh, you know, fonts, you know, I might have all tagged typography. So I just click typography. And it's like, there's all my ideas on it. Um, oh, it's really nice. Yeah. yeah. That's a very organized way. And I'm sure it brings up a, a lot of, uh, how many, how many things do you see on Tumblr that ends up making its way into your work? How often does that happen? I mean, uh, pretty often, you know, I, I would say that it happens pretty often. I mean, uh, you know, there's always a part in every process, especially in like visual identity, where it's just an inspiration gathering time. Um, so, I mean, naturally, it's the first place that I go, <laughs> you know, because it's already been vetted out. You know, I don't have yeah. to, you know, surf the web or read a magazine or anything like that. It's like, oh, these are just things that I already have here. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's very consistent. I know this other uh, copywriter, what, what they do is they have a swipe file and they just keep a bunch of um, images of all of their favorite. They just keep a copy of all of their favorite advertisements that they've ever seen or, or what they like about it. And they try to pick apart, like, what do they like about, you know, this copy versus that one, or what do I not like about it? What would I, what would I do differently? Uh, and I think that's really important is, is to keep track of your inspiration. Yeah, I mean the the best designers that that I know, they all do it in in one way. And I mean, you don't have to do it on Tumblr. That's just the tool yeah. that I have. I mean, um, you know, my partner Emmett, I know he's a big Evernote guy. Um, uh, so yes. so he has a, a similar type of thing, but he puts it all in an Evernote. Um, you know, I know people that you know do similar to what you were saying. It's like I just have a notebook and it has all my ideas in it, and you know, and document it um, because 
you know, there's a saying in like innovation, for example, like if there's an idea and you don't write it down, it's not an idea um, because it could be gone in an instant. Um, So, you know, you always have to, you know, document and keep up with it. And, you know, once you, once you get into a habit, it doesn't take, you know, much time. Very true. Yeah. It's about creating that habit. My favorite quote in that space, uh, similarly is the problem with mental notes is that the ink fades quickly. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I like that. that. It's true. That one sticks. That one sticks a lot. Um, especially for me as someone who can just get jump on the next big topic or thing like so quickly i'm like all right if i have an idea i've got to hold it even even sometimes when we're talking i have to be like "Ooh, this is a good question how am i going to remember it and then sometimes you got to be okay letting go of that idea because an even better question or or maybe you'll answer it or an even better conversation point pops up later on in the conversation so it's i i've noticed like from a talking perspective there's definitely a balance but um, from a from a creating design, it's really important to constantly save inspiration. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. And um, you know when uh, when you're an interested person, you know, um, it means that you can grab you know inspiration from almost everywhere. You know, if, if you're like truly interested in the world around you, it doesn't take a whole lot to be inspired by something and. You know, if you're anything like me, that means that you're distracted all the time, Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you don't write it down, I guarantee it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that ink might not have even, you know, been absorbed into the paper ever. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yeah, I, I agree with that interested thing. I think it's very important uh, to me. It's curiosity. I just try to be curious about as many things as possible. And it, it really is its own rabbit hole. Like if if you're interested in one thing, you ask a question the answer will almost always bring another interesting question. Like very, if if it's a free flowing conversation, obviously a yes, no, isn't going to, you know, be be the most productive, but, but yeah, being interested, being curious, very important. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for coming on. This was a fantastic conversation. I learned so much and I really enjoyed having you. Yeah. I love it, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, now I just have three quick questions um, for the guest or for the audience, and then we can be on our way. So first of all, we kind of touched on these. Actually, yeah, we kind of touched on these earlier. But what kind of music do you listen to, and uh, what what song recommendations or artists do you have for the listeners? Song recommendations. Um, let's see here. So I mean, I listen to a lot of different types of music. Um, the only thing that I would say is like kind of off off limits for me is pop country. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of punk rock. I listen to a lot of, uh, electronic music. Hmm. Um, you know, in the studio, we're big fans of soul wax. Um, you know, nice. which is, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. It, it's kind of, it's kind of hard music, but you know, it, it really kind of gets us going. There's a lot of, uh, it's, it's good groovy. energy there. Um, recently though, I mean, I told you that I was like, uh, you know, kind of getting into like the ambient scene. So, um, you know, group that I really, you know, have come to enjoy is the orb. The orb. Um, and they, ha- you know, they have a pretty good discography of, of things and it's uh, mostly really ambient. Uh, but there's also some like pretty popular songs in there as well. So um, maybe that's my recommendation. Sweet. Yeah. I'll throw it in the notes. Um, do you have any favorite recent, Ooh, I'll, I'll kind of change this question up for you. Uh, what what are your favorite kind of shows or movies that you recommend and how do you draw inspiration from movies and TV shows? Oh man. Uh, so 
I am the, I'm the most boring movie person in the world. Um, because, and, and this is, uh, is kind of like my, my wife as well, um, because we watch the same movies again and again and again, and they're almost, you know what you all, like, <laughs> well, they're almost all Stanley Kubrick, um, Wes Anderson or Quentin Tarantino. Um, and, and I think the reason for it is, you know, you know, the story, you know, so we can like zone out you know, yeah. on it essentially, but it's also a great story. It's beautifully shot. It um, there's like so many layers and all of those directors work um, that, you know, literally any of the films, you can watch it an immense amount of times and then figure out how they get there. You know, yeah. you know, boy, that shot's really interesting. And like the other thing that I think is pretty funny is all three of those directors, you know, well, maybe not Kubrick so much, but uh, they've inspired each other. And, and like, and you can actually see some things that's in the films cool. where it's like, oh yeah, well, Wes Anderson kind of shoots this stuff in the same way that Stanley Kubrick might, and why? Um, but you, you know, you learn so much when you repeat things. Um, you know, it's like I was complaining the other day. It's like there's nothing in the in the movie theaters that I want to see, but I want to go see a movie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think part of it is, you know, it's like you read the same thing again yeah. and again. I mean, I, I reread books a lot too. Um, and you know, I just feel like I miss things the first time. Um, but like, those are, those are the movies that we watched. I mean, we watched every Friday. <laughs> I think something to be said, like, those are all three very distinct directors, like their style. When you're watching it, you might not have seen the movie before, at least like knowing Wes Anderson and, um, Quentin Tarantino. I, I can't remember what Stanley Kubrick has done. I definitely heard the name. I just can't remember like any films, but I know for a fact, like you could see a Quentin Tarantino movie, see just like a couple minutes of the shots and you know, the colors, like the characters, the way things are. And you're like, Oh, that's a Tarantino movie. Or same with Wes Anderson, like onto the topic of limiting, not limiting yourself, but like setting personal constraints. Like Wes Anderson will pick a color scheme and that scheme will follow the entire movie. And it's, it's just really cool how these are very distinct directors and that they have inspired each other. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it is pretty amazing. I mean, it, if you don't if you don't know Kubrick, I mean, you got to see two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. Oh, it, that. Okay. What are some other Stanley Kubrick movies? I guess this is this is also why I do this. I want some recommendations. I'm gonna start checking some of these out. Yeah. So I mean, well, two thousand one: A Space Odyssey is a three hour long movie that only has forty five minutes of dialogue, but you're on the edge of your seat because it's so beautiful. Um, and, and the the thing this is the thing that like blows my mind. So you watch the movie and it's very realistic in space. Um, But when I found out that uh, nobody had actually been into space yet um, to know what it's like, you know, for him to direct this movie. So like the shots of like earth from above, nobody had actually seen that before. How Um, accurate did he get? uh, I mean, it's like stunning. I I mean, it really is. Um, And it's kind of like crazy, you know, when you think about it, like nobody's ever actually seen that before. You had to figure that out and then he had to do it on film. Um, you know? So, I mean, like that, that's one. It's like, I, I could watch that all day long almost. And there's like hardly any dialogue. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, the shining, you know, is, is probably, you know, our favorite, you know, and then, uh, I don't know. Clockwork orange is another really good one. I was pretty graphic, but <laughs> it's a yeah. great, great, great movie. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely be checking these out. Um, and, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but what, what books have you been reading? Um, what book recommendations do you have to anyone out there? 
Right. So um, I kind I kind of alternate um, between professional books and uh, like novels. Uh, so yeah. currently, I'm on novels, um, and I have have this mission um, that uh, I'm reading all the classic books that I didn't read while I was in high school or college, like I was supposed to. <laughs> Catcher in the Rye and whatnot. Yeah, actually, that was one of them that I read recently, which is uh, it's what, actually one of my favorite books. But wow, um, the one that I'm reading right now is uh, super relevant for today. It's The, the Plague by uh, Camus. Uh, just so relevant to today. You know, it was, it was written in 1947. And it seems like they're talking about, you know, two years ago. Um, it's, it's really crazy. Um, so, I mean, that's a novel that I'm reading now. I, I just finished a, a book that was super inspiring um, for me by uh, uh, Dr. Martin Lorenz uh, about flexible visual systems, um, which, you know, when we talk about like design philosophies and that sort yeah. of thing, I mean, it's just a fantastic book for that. Sweet. Thank you very much. Lastly, where can people find you out there if they are so willing? Yeah. So, you know, C90, uh, you know, our website is probably the easiest way to kind of digest some work. Um, it's uh, c-90.com. Uh, we also have, you know, we're on Instagram, although we don't like post a ton of work there, but C underscore nine zero studio. Um, and it's the same on Twitter as well. Sweet. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. Appreciate it.